The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number six. We are currently in a series this summer called Greater Than, and we're looking at some of the things uh, that God is greater than and God's grace makes possible and what God's grace makes possible for us to overcome. And so today we're going to spend a little time looking at this subject of reconciliation is greater than retaliation, or what maybe some people would refer to as revenge. Uh, for those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text today. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 6, we'll begin in verse number 27. Uh, I'll read this portion of Scripture, and uh, then we'll just kind of go back and work our way through it in the upcoming few moments. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 6, and verse number 27, but I say unto you which hear, so this is Jesus talking, uh, those of you who have a red letter edition of the Bible, uh, these verses are going to be in red, this is, that means Jesus spoke them. And Jesus said, love your enemies. Just think about that for a moment, <laughs> let it sink in. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. Now, how many of you are ready to stop right now have an invitation, go to prayer and reflection, and call it a service. I mean, I think a lot of us would be like, wow, that's it's pretty heavy. But he doesn't stop. <laughs> and unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other, and, take, and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid him not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them, not again, verse 31, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. This is where we get the golden rule from, do unto others as you have them do unto you, uh, kind of here, verse 32, for if ye love them which love you, what thank have you, what, what's the credit to you if you just simply love those who are already loving you? For sinners also love those that love them. You don't need Christ. You don't need the Savior to love people who are already loving you. Verse 33, and if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? What credit's that to your account? For sinners also do even the same. I mean, unsaved, unregenerate, ungodly people will scratch the back of those who are scratching theirs. Verse 34, and if you lend to them of whom ye have hope to receive, that is, you're going to do something for somebody because you're pretty sure that down the road they're going to do something back for you. What thank have you? What, what credit is that to you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. It doesn't take a godly Christian to, to do that. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again. This is speaking of motives. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. 
For he, speaking of God, is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Aren't you thankful that you have a heavenly Father that is kind when we're unthankful? And when we're living in sin, He's kind. Verse 36, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read these words, our hearts are smitten. Because every person in this room, myself included, are crushed under the weight of these words. Every one of us have been hurt. Every one of us have been maligned and betrayed. Every one of us have, Lord, been conspired against, and, and not even by people we would call our enemies. Oftentimes this happens, Lord, at the hands of a neighbor, from the mouth of a friend, from the heart of a loved one. And Lord, it can be so hard in that moment to forgive and to show mercy, to let go of bitterness. Our, our, our heart leans into wanting to retaliate hold a grudge rather than just to let go and allow you to take care of the situation. I pray that you would use these verses, Lord, not just to convict us, but Lord, ultimately to change us into the image of Christ. Lord, that your spirit would give us the strength, the power, and the victory, Lord, to accomplish that which we're reading about in this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, and you may be seated. Before I go back to this text and unpack it a little bit further, uh, let me take some time here and give you a little bit of cultural context uh, to what's happening and maybe some of the context as to, as Jesus is giving this, what's kind of happening. Number one, I will say this. One of Jesus' primary purposes during his earthly ministry is, was to address a very religious group known as the Pharisees. And, and often he would speak against them, and he would speak to them, and they were known as the religious elite of their day. They knew the word of God, and, and they did their very best to live up to all those standards, and they even added standards on top of that. And one of Jesus' primary purposes during his ministry was to crush their self-righteousness as well as everybody else's self-righteous so people could be more so people could more accurately see their utter need for a savior you see when jesus came he came to save them but these people needed to understand that they needed a savior and the reality is because these were god's chosen people Many of them were so full of pride with their own good works that they did not even realize that they needed a savior. They were self-sufficient. They were self-righteous. And so in Jesus' earthly ministry, one of his purposes was to come and to speak hard truth. Truth that would be so condemning. Truth that would be so weighty that these people would feel literally crushed completely by the weight of these words and recognize that in and of themselves, they had no ability to accomplish anything that Jesus was saying. In fact, in a parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find that Jesus also shares these words and he goes on to say, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, 
in this current context, that doesn't mean a lot to us. But if you were in first century, you know, Israel at that time, you would realize that that was a big statement. Like if you were listening to that in that day and age, you would basically throw up your hands and say, I quit. There's no way I can meet up to those standards. And then on the other portion, he bookends it with, and then he goes to take it a step further and he says, in fact, you just got to be holy like God is holy and really crushed everybody. Like, wow, how am I supposed to do that? You see, that's what Jesus did. Jesus was trying to crush the self-righteous kind of pride and arrogance that was welling up in the heart of God's people. You see, these people did not just need to be made better. They, a lot of them were already better. They needed to be made brand new from the inside out. They needed their heart changed. They needed their motives and their values and why they did what they did. Their very nature changed. And only a savior could change that. So we see that's part of the context. The second thing I want to say in regards to the context as we are interpreting this passage it was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones who said this. He was a theologian, as he uh, shared in his commentary on this passage. He says, as we interpret this passage within the totality of the New Testament scriptures. So we don't pull out any passage out of context. We compare scripture with scripture. That's what Jude tells us to do. He says this, when we interpret this passage within the totality of New Testament scripture, we must understand that this is not a prescription for Christianity, but rather it is a description of Christianity. Okay, what did he mean by that? What he's meaning is this passage was not Jesus saying, do this to become a Christian. Be this to be saved. It is not a prescription for Christianity. It is a description of what it looks like when somebody is a true disciple of Jesus Christ. This is one of the ways it manifests itself. This is what it's going to look like as it expresses itself. You say, what do you mean by that? Notice at the very end of this passage in verse number 35, the Bible says, for God is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. So be ye therefore merciful, notice this, as your Father also is merciful. He's saying here, hey, for those of you, and God is your Father, you have been shown mercy. You've experienced the kindness of God when you were unthankful. You've experienced his benevolence when you were walking in evilness. He says, and yet God was kind to you. He was loving towards you. He was benevolent towards you. And he was gracious toward you. Therefore, be merciful. Because you've experienced that mercy, now you are able to be merciful. So we see here, living in conscious awareness of God's continual mercy upon your life. That is, as you're going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you're living in conscious awareness of all the mercy that God has shown to you, our lives will radically impact how we react to others when they treat us wrongly. So as we're living in this awareness, it will influence, it will impact how we treat those who don't treat us right. So let's just kind of dive into this again, and we'll unpack it kind of verse by verse. Notice verse number 27, but I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies. 
Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And here's what I want to say in regards to this. We see here in verses number 27 and verses number 28. First of all, this is exactly what Christ did for us. We need to remember that. This is how Christ treated us. He was willing to love us when we did not deserve it. It says he loved, that is, he demonstrated compassion toward those who wronged him. Uh, The Bible literally says, and I know this is a hard pill for some of us to swallow, but before our conversion, the Bible says that we were literally the enemies of God. We opposed God. In our pride, in our self-righteousness, God had a path. And we said, we don't need Christ. We don't need Jesus. We have our own path. And we literally not only opposed God, but in the process, the Bible says that we literally opposed ourselves. It says we were an enemy with God. (laughs) Whenever we sin, the reality is we become our own worst enemy. You don't break God's laws. You break yourself against God's laws. You become your own worst enemy. You hurt yourself. And yet in that state, the Bible says God loved you. He loved you when you were an enemy. He cared about you when you were at odds against him. This is how God demonstrated his love toward us. The reality is, it's not just like God loved us before we were at our worst. Before we had committed that horrible sin. Before we opposed ourselves and became our own worst enemies. It's not just like God, he loved us before that moment. And it's not just like he loved us after the moment. Kind of when we we put it behind us and we kind of felt a little repentant and made it a little better. It wasn't just like he loved us before. It's not just like he loved us after. Literally in the moment of your evil, in the moment of your unthankfulness, in the moment of your sin, in the moment where you had enmity with God, in the moment, in that exact exact moment he loved you he accepted you he loves you Romans chapter number 5 verse 6 through 9 says for when we were yet without strength when we felt weak we couldn't overcome the temptations we couldn't seem to get victory over that sin or that addiction when we were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act. He doesn't wait for you to get, get your life together. He loves you as you are. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. <laughs> Paul is saying, hey, you're, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody who would die for a really, really good person. That's going to be scarce. Yet peradventure for a good man, some might even dare to die. There might, if you're a good person, there might be someone out there who, who might die for you to take your place. But God. You see, God's different. God commended his love toward us. You say, when? When did he love us? When did he give us that love? When did he die? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
I want to remind you today that Christ loved you when you were his enemy. When you were opposing him and and you were literally, as the Apostle Paul will say later, later, you were literally opposing yourself. You were opposing your own joy. You were opposing your own peace. You were opposing your own love. Literally, you were becoming your own worst enemy and in the process you were God's enemy. You were living your life in a way that was just sabotaging it from the inside out. God loved you. Smack dab in the middle of your failure. He shows compassion. You see, this is not just something God is commanding you to do. This is an invitation for you to fully experience and enjoy the type of love that God has for you. To embrace it. To experience it. And to enjoy it. Because it's not a command he gives to you only. It is an opportunity that he gives you to experience to relish in, to bask in, and to joy, love, do good. That is to literally say, Jesus did this for us. He was good to us, even when we hated him. It says, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. And Jesus went to the cross when there were people crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And the very people that were crying out, crucify him, Jesus was dying to save. He was doing good to those that hated him. He does good to us even when we want nothing to do with him or his will or his plan. He's good. Bless them that curse you. I'm I'm so glad that when Jesus was on the cross, he was praying with his words he uttered blessing this is what jesus did for you you see this is not just a command this is a revelation of god's interaction with you as a human being this is how he treated you first while you were yet sinners christ died for us it says pray for them which despitefully use you When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. This is more than just a command. This is a reminder of what Jesus did for you. He loved you. He did good and blessed and prayed on your behalf when we least deserved it. You see, a spirit of mercy begins by recognizing that no one will ever do anything worse to me than what I've already done to Christ. That This is where mercy begins. It's humbling yourself to the realization that no one has hurt you more than you have hurt Christ. Until you humble yourself to that reality, demonstrating mercy to others will always be something that evades you. It'll always be something that's hard for you. 
Because you won't view yourself as one who was once in need of mercy. You will see you as one who is the victim. When rather you are the one who, who was that to Christ. Notice verse number 29. Jesus goes on to say, And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. You say, what are we encapsulating here? Jesus Christ is trying to give some illustrations, practical examples of what a reaction of mercy might look like in their context. It wasn't uncommon in that day and age if a Roman soldier was walking through their area for the Roman soldier to demand their coat. Wouldn't be an uncommon thing. So Jesus is giving a cultural illustration, a practical illustration of how it might look in their context to demonstrate mercy to somebody who does not deserve it in their minds. After all, these Romans were their persecutors. And Jesus is saying, have mercy on them. He is speaking to the reaction of mercy. You see, the focus in these three verses is the supernatural response of one who has experienced abundant mercy. Once you realize that, wow, God loved me while I was yet a sinner. He was good to me even though I didn't deserve it. He spoke words of blessing when I was at my worst. And he continues to pray for me regardless of where I am. He makes intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. This is what God does for me. And so what we see in these next three verses is now when we really bask in that and we really experience it and when we're really enjoying and embracing that, now he starts talking about this is the supernatural response of somebody who's wronged. This is the supernatural response, what it looks like when people are really getting that. When they're really believing it, when it really is a part of who they are. You see, deeply embracing God's mercy that he has given to you. When you're deeply embracing this mercy for yourself, it won't just affect our actions, but more importantly, our reactions. Mercy has a whole lot to do with how we react, how we respond when somebody does something to us. And that's what these three verses are saying. These three verses are saying, if, if somebody does this, this is what it looks like to have a merciful spirit. This is what a merciful response looks like tangibly. When we're really experiencing and we're abiding in the mercy that Christ has given to us, this is what will extend from our lives. It speaks of the response. Psalm chapter number 103 verse 10 says this, He hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For those of us who are believers, all of the consequences of our sin spiritually were put on the backs of Jesus Christ. 
He didn't reward us according to our iniquities. He rewarded his perfect son, Jesus, with the consequences that your and my sin deserves. Not dealt with us after our sins. Notice Luke chapter number 6, verse 32. It goes on to say, For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? What, what credit is that to you? It goes on to say, For sinners also love those that love them. If you do good to them which do good to you, what, what thank have ye? What credit? For sinners also do the same. And any uns- you don't need the Spirit of God to do that. That's, that's what everybody does. Everybody loves people who's, who are loving to them. There's not a person in this room who's like, I hate it when people are nice to me. <laughs> no, it's, that's, just, that's just natural. You, you don't need the Spirit of God for that. You don't need to embrace God's mercy to, 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 to show love or to be kind or to lend. And, and what, these, what these verses are pointing out is, is really our heart motive in mercy. See, I'm afraid that a lot of what we want to call mercy is really just kind of a spiritual olive branch with a theological veneer that really at its core is ulterior selfishness. And so Jesus is trying to pull back the cover on this. He's he's trying to go deeper than just actions because he knows human beings. We love just to talk about the surface. Well, the ends justifies the means. As long as I'm doing the actions and behaviors of what the Bible says, then I'm A-OK. Jesus always had a way of going deeper than just the behaviors and deeper than just the actions. He was always drilling down into the heart. He's drilling down into the motives. And, and that's what he's doing in these three verses. He's saying, when you really understand all the mercy and everything your Heavenly Father has done for you, and you recognize that he is kind to the unthankful, and he's kind to those who are evil, and he showed mercy when you didn't deserve it, and when you you were his enemy. He says, when you really get that, it doesn't just change your behaviors. It literally changes your heart. It changes your motives. You're not doing what you're doing for the same reason anymore. And that's the key to Christianity. Christianity is not just about behavioral modification. Christianity is when your heart gets transformed from the inside out that then allows you to demonstrate and to express behaviors in a way that is holy and pure and righteous and without ulterior motives and without wrong values. That's the the essence of Christianity. It's a change of heart that then has implications to our actions. But at its very essence, it's a change of nature. It's a change of being. That's the essence of Christianity. Not change of behavior. Change of behavior will happen. I guarantee it. But it's not the focus. It's not the emphasis. The emphasis is always the heart. Why are you doing what God says to do? Well, after all, they smote me on the cheek. I turned the other cheek. They asked for my coat. I gave them my shirt. See, I'm dotting my I's. I'm crossing my T's. I'm walking my walk and I'm talking the talk. I get a sticker. I'm a good Christian. And Jesus says, actually, no. 
you, you don't get a star. Because Christianity is about the heart. It's about the motives. It's about the why. And here's the reality. Most of us don't think about the why. We don't know why our heart does what it does. We don't know why we say what we say. We don't know what's the values that are producing these things. We, we don't even get it. And so Jesus is constantly going below the surface. He's going deeper than the actions. And he's saying, why are you doing what you're doing? What's your motive? And in this passage, he, he helps us understand that motives matter. He's saying, if you're just loving because you're expecting that that person down the road will love you back, you don't need the Holy Spirit for that. You, you don't need to experience God's mercy in order to do that. Anybody all over the world would accomplish those things. He's talking to motives. If you've only shown mercy, if I've only shown mercy to people when they deserve it, then I've never really shown mercy. It's not until I'm demonstrating that grace and forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation when they least deserve it when they're at their breaking point, that it begins to be of the nature of true mercy. I love Psalms 103. For the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. You say, how is it that I can demonstrate mercy when they don't deserve it, by reminding yourself of how merciful he has been to you. When you're really upset and when you're really angry with somebody because of what they did to you or what they said to you or how they made you feel, the answer is not revenge or retaliation. That will just make it worse. To simply stew about it in your mind and, and fixate on how wrong they are, how they've made you feel and obsess about everything that's going on in your heart is only going to go deeper into the rabbit hole. What you need to do is get your mind and heart out of that and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Focus on the mercy and the love and the adoration that he has given to you, even in those moments where you didn't deserve it. And it is in that exercise that you begin to experience an overcoming grace. As you bask in the mercy he's already given to you. You see, my friends, what this is teaching us about our motives is that mercy is an attitude, not just a behavior. So let's talk about this for one minute. Mercy is not just what you do. Mercy is why you do it. You say, well, you know, technically they said I'm sorry, and I said I forgive you. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that may be mercy, but it may not be. Mercy goes below the surface. It is the why you've forgiven or uttered the words, I forgive you or why you're responding in merciful behavior. That is the essence of mercy. It's not just a behavior. It's not just something you do. It, it's something you're experiencing in the essence of your soul. It is, it is a merciful spirit. 
You see, when you're basking in the mercy that God has given you, it will develop a merciful spirit, a merciful attitude, merciful motives that will then make it possible for you to extend mercy to those who don't deserve it. But I'm going to tell you this, if you're not basking in all of the mercy that he's given to you, you won't have the capacity to demonstrate mercy to others. I guarantee it. There is no place that springs forth with mercy other than the pools of God's amazing grace. The heart of this thing matters, and Jesus emphasizes it. And then he says in verse 35, once again, love your enemies, do good and lend. And he, 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 once again, he talks to the motives, hoping for nothing again. Don't, don't think you're going to get something in return. And so when your spouse isn't treating you right and you're, you're going to show mercy on them, be careful that in your attempts to show mercy, you're not in an, in an un, uh, just unexpectedly at, thinking you're going to get something in return for that. Or when a boss does something and wrong and you're going to show mercy because you can get something out of it. He says, don't hope for anything in return. Have pure motives in this thing. Do it unto God, not unto them. Notice this, and your reward shall be great. Your reward shall be great. I want to say this. When it comes to showing mercy, I want to say, you can do this, and it is good for you. It is healthy for you. Holding on to bitterness. Holding on to anger. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not behaving angrily. I'm not acting mad. I'm not responding in a way that's vengeful. But I'm asking, but is your heart there? Is your heart in that place of brokenness and anger and pain? And I want to say by God's grace, God, God can pull you from that place. He can give you the ability to overcome that thing. It's possible. And not only is it possible, it's good for you. As long as you stay in that place of bitterness and resentment and revenge, you're destroying your soul from the inside out. And you might think you're hurting somebody else, and you might be, but you're hurting yourself more. And you're doing a whole lot more damage to yourself than you could ever possibly be doing to someone around you. Whether that be a spouse, or a church member, or a coworker. It's good for you to demonstrate mercy. It's healthy for you to demonstrate mercy. To, to get this thing in alignment will bring you to a, a healthy place, a better place. Your reward shall be great. Second Corinthians says, and all things are of God. Notice this, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus. So when we were his enemies, Jesus want, God wanted to make peace with us. And so he sent Jesus to be the mediator and to make peace. He literally became our ambassador so we could make peace with God. So in our sin, we were against God. Jesus came and made peace by his blood. And he reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And then he said this, because we have been reconciled, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now we can go reconcile with others given us that ministry.
But it starts with experiencing it ourselves. Basking it in ourselves. We cannot pass on that which we are not currently possessing. We cannot extend that which we are not currently experiencing. To extend something comes from a place of experiencing it first. Somebody once said this, Romans chapter number 12 talks about this. Revenge is God's responsibility. Reconciliation is ours. Revenge belongs to God. Reconciliation, mercy, and forgiveness, that's our responsibility. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, he'll repay. He'll take care of it. You say, what's the point of all this? Notice the end of the passage. For he, God, is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. He gives us a bookend here. He wants to end on a high note. He wants us to understand that the pathway to this victory is not looking at ourselves, not looking at the one who hurt us, not looking at the one who needs mercy. He recognizes that the power to experiencing this is found on focusing on the one who has been so good to us. And so he brings our attention back to our Heavenly Father, and he says he was kind to you when you were unthankful. You could care less about what God did for you, and he was still kind in fact, you were opposing him in your evilness, and he's, he loved you. He says, now, therefore, because of that, because of what he's done for you, therefore, be merciful. Why? Because your Father in heaven was merciful to you. You know why we struggle to be merciful? Well, because what they did to me was so bad, you know, it can't be resolved. Uh, maybe. You know, the real reason we struggle for, to be merciful is because we suffer from something called spiritual amnesia. We have forgotten the mercy that he has shown to us. And in those moments where we cannot extend mercy we're experiencing a sort of spiritual amnesia. We're more focused on how they hurt us than what, how God responded to us when we hurt him. Spiritual amnesia makes us bitter, resentful, and angry. Angry at that person. Angry at life. Angry at ourselves for the choices we made and we get so upset because we make wrong choices and we make bad decisions and then we're smack dab in the middle of the consequences of those decisions and it makes us feel like a failure and it makes us feel horrible, it makes us feel broken and we can't even forgive ourselves. We, we can't show mercy on ourselves. We can't show mercy toward life and so we just hold on to it. And God says, look to me. Focus on me. You can be merciful to that which needs to have mercy shown upon it. Because, because I, I have shown you mercy. And it's okay. By God's grace, we can forgive. By God's 
grace, we can show mercy. By God's grace, we truly can seek reconciliation over retaliation. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.